when I consider the way I have lived my life, you think about your own life, your public life, your private life, your work life, your home life, your whatever life. When I consider how I've lived, not only before I was saved, but especially after having been saved. The number of times of resistance, the number of repetitions of the same acts of disobedience, attitudes and motives, desires, actions. You know, when you stop and think and ponder, and I don't want to put me down or you down, But when we ponder how absolutely rotten we have been so often after having been saved, to me, God's patience, his kindness, his long-suffering, his forbearance is more than astounding. When I contemplate the way I have lived and the fact that God has carefully, consistently, purposefully, kindly, gently, patiently, etc., taken my life directed and redirected, corrected, encouraged. And did me. He's an amazing God. There's just one word, amazing. No wonder John Newton said, amazing grace. He's an amazing God. God's goodness and his grace for me. And I would encourage you to do the same. Is to take time from time to time. And just to sit alone and think and contemplate and savor and enjoy the goodness of God in our lives. We're doing so much at such a fast pace and going here, there, and helter-skelter that we forget the most important person in all creation is our God, is this heavenly Father who has loved us so much that he's given all that he had in his Son to redeem us from the curse of the law. And having done that, having given us the Holy Spirit, is now with us, walking with us, living in us day by day, moment by moment, as we trudge along, as we fall along, as we fail along, as we have some successes, as we do some things, as we do a lot of other things, and yet he is so patient and kind. It's incredible to me. You see... If there is ever an apologetic, you know what I mean by an apologetic? 
a proof of the reality of our faith. To me, this is one of the most enormous and astounding apologetics that there is. Because there is not another religion which allows you to get away with some of the things that we do and still remain in the good graces and the favor and the glory and the blessings of God. This is the truth. That's why the others haven't come up with it. It's not the truth. This is a major apologetic, if you would. Astounding God. And I believe this morning as we are concluding this series, are we concluding this series next week? We're not. He just told me no. Told you he'd miss it. As we are continuing the series, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do a work this morning that encourages us to give God reciprocity, to give God the same patience, the same forbearance, the same grace in what he's doing as he gives to us. Because you see, we have been talking a lot about knowing God and the great attributes of God and how those attributes are now affecting us. And there is something of a very general nature of affectation of God's work in us that needs to occur in order for the issues that God is maturing and building into us to occur to the place where God wants it to. And we need just to be able to trust God's work and wait for him and lean on him and give him the kind of patience that he's giving to us. So I believe it's the Lord's desire this morning that we allow the wonder and the amazement of the grace that we have received from him to generate in us a satisfaction and a trust in his timing and in his work of conforming us into the image of his son. Father, as we share this morning, Father, we give you thanks as we have already been doing so for the glorious wonder of your grace. But this morning, Father, we pray that the work of grace that you have begun and are continuing in us will also return to you as we receiving the good of your patience return it to you as you work in our lives. Father, minister to us today. We are such a needy people. And we thank you so much that we are needy because we have received because we needed. So thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, amen.
How many of you ever heard the wonderful words of Isaiah 40, verse 31? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Haven't we all heard that? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so the entire ability for us to be able to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and to take us along life day by day as we are mounting up with wings and running and walking. The entire issue there is very much connected with that word, they that wait upon the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord. You know, what a promise that waiting upon the Lord is going to be used by the Holy Spirit in our lives to build us into Christ and him into us. But you see, the key to this is this word wait. What does wait mean? Well, wait has to do with God's loving and patient activity in me, in you of intertwining us with himself as he is wrapping his great strength around our small weakness so that the two are becoming one, causing us to become partakers of the divine nature in a practical and living way on a daily basis. Waiting is being braided together. The picture here is of a great strong cord that cannot be broken being intertwined with and by a very weak, small, frail, kind of a little green thing and the two becoming intertwined with one another. So as a result of the process, the strong is swallowing up the weak and the weak is benefiting from the strong and the two become one. So that when the enemy comes to attack and if you would pull us out of the garden of God, he isn't able just to grab the little weak green thing and easily and with little or no effort pluck us out of God, but we have been intertwined with the strength of God himself so that when the enemy puts his hand on us, he's putting his hand on the strength of God and no enemy and no combination of hell and combination of demons and devils or whatever can in any way affect the power of God himself. We are being wrapped together with God. That is the word weight. And so that's why you see, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so there are really two necessary activities or issues with the word or the activity of wait. And neither the one of them I like. 
how many of you know that God is doing a work that sometimes you don't like? Come on. Now, come on. Be, come on. Come on. Come on. Just go home and see the spouse of the children and have something to happen and no. There are two things that are involved here, timing and twisting. Timing and twisting. You see, this is a wonderful work of grace. The word waiting is a wonderful work of grace. There's just one problem with it, Evan. The thing takes so long. I don't have time for all of this. I remember one time when I was running one of the printing presses. We used to own a printing company. And here we're chugging along, and something breaks. My first comment to the Lord was this, not now. Not now. I don't have time to be matured at this moment, to be chastened right now. I'm doing something. I have to get it going and finished. Don't you know I have a deadline? Isn't God's timing lousy? Now, come on, are you with me or not? How many of you know God doesn't understand our timetable? He just doesn't wear a watch. More like a grandfather clock. You see, I, I find this in my life. I, I really need to confess this. I find this, that I am glad to cooperate with God's grace with joy as long as he does it quickly and without any twisting. I mean, I'm glad to say, oh, Lord, do your work. How many of you ever asked for patience and you wanted it now? <laughs> I mean, this is who we are. You see, when it takes too long, and who's the judge of too long, Sidney? Me. I judge how long it should take. Come on, come on, come on. How many of you judge things that are too long? How many of you make the judgment? Come on, come on. We're the ones who make the judgment. Come on. That's it. We make the judgment. When it takes too long, or there's too much twisting, I find myself becoming critical, complaining, impatient, dissatisfied, et cetera, et cetera. Why? You see, because I have need to learn to wait. You see, waiting isn't a passive activity where I'm just sitting on the couch eating some potato chips and watching LSU stomp Alabama. Now, now that I've proven you are awake and can yell, when you hear the word of God, awake up and yell with me. You see, there was a hook in it. I knew where we were going, brother. They didn't know. I knew where we were going. See, somebody says, oh, we don't like to be excited in church. <laughs> I mean, Widener almost came out of his chair when I said we stomped Alabama. My feeling is we stomped them just because we won, because they were coming in here to stomp us, remember? They go home like this. Go back where you belong. <laughs> Any Alabama fans in here? You want to rate? Look at them over there. Let's get them. 
I hope y'all, are y'all visiting? I hope you're not big tithers. I may have made a mistake on that. We just lost the next month's rent. We like Alabama. As long as they don't beat us. The problem with being timing and twisting the waiting seriously, I don't like it. I really don't like it. My flesh truly, truly doesn't like it. My wife can tell you how much I can complain about things that need complaining. I never complain about something that doesn't need complaining. I always do it when things need to be complained about. And I believe that's the way the rest of us are, aren't we? How many of us are complaining uselessly? No, there are issues to be complained about. Come on, there are issues out there. But you see, here's the problem. My complaining, my dissatisfaction, my impatience, it's directed toward a loving God who has done everything necessary to save us, to keep us, and to give us a new home one day and a new heaven and an earth. My every complaint, my every dissatisfaction, my every impatience is not directed toward anything of this earth. Those things precipitate something in me which causes me to direct that kind of sinful, fleshly, idolatrous behavior toward the God of glory who cares for us and who is molding us into the form, the shape, the image of his son. There's the problem. I know we can enjoy and laugh, and it's fine to do that, but there is a real serious problem here. And not only are we insulting the glory and the honor of God, but we are retarding the very work that we want him to do and that we need him to do because he wants to do it. You see, if I understood and knew for sure that I knew what was going to happen and when it was going to happen and how it was going to happen and why it was going to happen, I could be a lot more patient. Are you with me on that? You know, that thing that's going on, I don't know. But but if I know exactly, so what I do is, Lord, will you let me know what's happening so I can relax? Idolatry. Dishonoring him. See, what I need is much greater faith in the pace of grace. I need much greater faith in the pace of grace. There is a pace to grace. There's not only grace, there is a pace, a process. God is going somewhere, and he's not only going somewhere, but he's doing stuff along the way as he goes. You see, the glory of God is certainly manifested at the end when the whole thing is completed in the heavens as we sang today. Blessing and glory and honor 
and power be unto him who sits upon the throne. That's the, the absolutely fulfillment of all the glory of God in our lives. But there is also glory to God and God's glory and his pleasure and his joy in the process of working and walking in and with us on a daily basis through the entire pace of grace. God's glory is also manifested and presented and present, rather, in the pace, not only in the result. Too many of us are way too interested in that day, but this day is also filled with glory. with the wonder and the amazement of who our God is. You see, this pace of grace is slow and mysterious. How many of you understand it? It's mysterious. And it is slow. It's slow. Especially it's slow when it comes to my wife getting things right. Especially it's slow when the pastors don't do what I thought they should have done on my timetable. That's when it really gets slow. It's slow enough for me, but it's worse when it's slow in you. I know I'm the only one who thinks this way. I'm strange. But I find these things to be true in my life. It's slow and mysterious. Why? Because, you see, God is doing more than just stuff. He is molding us into his vessels of honor. He's doing a lot more than just stuff. The stuff that he's doing is the molding process of making us into the image of his son. So the question really is this. Are we going to trust him to take the time and do the twisting to achieve his goal? That's really the process. Isn't that the question? Am I going to trust God's timing and twisting for the accomplishment of his goal, believing and really knowing that God does know how much time to take And how much twisting to apply. I don't know these things. Only God does. You know, it's amazing. We can trust God with our eternal destiny. Amen? How many of you are trusting God to take you all the way through forever into heaven? How many of you are trusting God? Oh, wow, we can trust God for the most important thing in all our lives, but yet when it comes to the details of my day and my relationships and my activities and what's going on in me and in my wife and my grandchildren, my daughter, my son-in-law, you, them, we seem not to be able to trust him for that. But we can trust him to save us from hell. But I don't know if I can trust him tomorrow to get here on time so I can get. Aren't we funny people? It's called flesh and sin. It's called weakness. But the glory of this is this. We are typically harder on ourselves in this area than God is on us. 
and we're harder on one another than God is on us. I mean, just take a little while to start reading some of the pages of the Old Testament. And God is not near. You take a man like Gideon. Remember Gideon? I'm, 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 I'm supposed to do what? Get a fleece here and then the water here and the water there. And the next day, you know, and do this. And then I'm going to do that. I'm afraid here. I'm going to go run down there. And, you know, he's afraid. The Lord is like, what the, what's the matter? With, just get yourself. He is not upset with Gideon because he knows that Gideon is a frail, faulty, failing human being. And God is so well pleased to work in such as we. Aren't you glad of that? Let's stop putting ourselves and others down as much as we have been. And let's start seeing things from a different perspective a little more than we have been. Well, let's talk about the pace of grace as we turn to Nehemiah. In the Old Testament, Keith didn't know I'd be talking about Nehemiah this morning when he referenced Ezra. Ezra is the book before Nehemiah. It's in the Old Testament. In my Bible, it's on page uh, 507. That may help you if you have my kind of Bible. Nehemiah. You see, the pace of grace, what we're facing here, is not something unique to us. It's something unique to all humanity who are in the hands of a God who is renewing us and who is redeeming us and who is maturing us. Nehemiah faced the same problem that we do, the very same problem. He had the same issue. You remember in 586 B.C., the Jews were conquered by the Babylonians as a result of the Jews' continual unrepented sin Finally, the Lord sent Nebuchadnezzar in 586 to conquer the nation of Judah, the southern nation, the Jews in that southern nation, and destroy the city of Jerusalem, destroying the temple and taking all of those people captive out of Jerusalem all the way back to Babylon, 586. And there they remain in Babylonian captivity for 70 years that had been already prescribed and prophesied by the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah. Seventy years of captivity. But you see, God has promised. God has said, I will have a people through whom I will bless the world in the seed of the woman, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So God can't leave them in exile, being destroyed, Because if he did, he would be a promise breaker, but he is a promise keeper. And so years later, years later, 70 years of captivity, the Persians come in, you remember, and they defeat the Babylonians, and all of a sudden we have a new nation ruling that part of the world. And the Persians are kind of a different folk. They allow people to go back home and live their lives as long as they're going to give credence to the emperor and, you know, the the king and so on. So the Persian understanding of occupancy and dominance was different than the Babylonian one. Isn't it amazing that the Lord raised up an empire with that kind of a mindset? He did it in order to get his people back to the land. 
And so the Lord raises up the Persians 70 years later who conquered the Babylonians, and the Jews were allowed to return to the land. We heard about that just this morning. Go back, take all this money, and go rebuild your temple. Go do a good work. Now, by the time of Nebuchadnezzar, I'm sorry, Nehemiah, which is about 444, 445 B.C., the temple has been rebuilt under the direction of a guy named Zerubbabel. The temple is there. But there is a problem. In 586, when the Babylonians had come into Jerusalem, they not only sacked the city and destroyed the temple, they tore down all the walls and burned the gates. And so Jerusalem looked like a Katrina had hit it. It was devastated. There were people living there. There was a temple, a smaller temple. But there were no walls. There was no way for the populace to protect itself from the incursion of the area people to come in. But most important, most important was this. Jerusalem was God's city, the city of the great king. The, remember that? The city of David. And Jerusalem was God's city to declare his glory and of his wonder and of his sovereignty and of his rule. And so the nations are looking at, this is Yahweh? (laughs) This washed up, burned down mess? This is God? You you believe in that God? (laughs) Let me show you a God. Why don't you come to Susa, the great capital of the Persian Empire? This is a God. Jerusalem, you say, that's the real God? (laughs) Okay. And God has been put, and actually has put himself to an open ridicule. But the Lord is now ready to rebuild the walls. How many of us have been brought into the kingdom of God and now God is in the process of rebuilding the walls of our lives? So let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. And let me read to you the first four verses of Nehemiah. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Harkaliah, Now it happened in the month of Keslev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judea. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. How is Jerusalem the city of the great king, the city of David, the city of the testimony of Yahweh, the great God. And they said to me, the remnant, those who had gone on, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. You see that word shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the Lord, before the God of heaven. Let's skip down to verse 11. 
It's a wonderful prayer, but let's look at verse 11. He's praying. He's pouring out his heart. There is a huge problem facing my life. I have a great need, a genuine need, not just a want, not something to make me feel better, but a God-given, generated, revealed need. It has to do mostly with the glory and the honor of God in my life. It's not nickel and dime stuff. Huge need, so I'm going to pray. Look at verse 11. Oh, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today. Did you hear it? When does he want success? When does he want it? Is he wrong to want it today? No. See, there's an emergency. God, I have a need. I have tomorrow morning, Wednesday, next week, there's an emergency in my life. I need an answer now. This is God's man. You see, he had to get permission of this king, Artaxerxes, in order to allow him to go back to Jerusalem for the purpose of rebuilding the walls. He had to have permission to do this. So he says, give us, give us success in the next few days. Oh, Lord, if you're not doing anything for the next month or two, could you come? No, I need help. When? Now. I need it now. How many of us feel that either right today or there have been times in our lives when we needed help right away? Right away help. You see, help that comes too late isn't such help, I think. Well, let's notice some of the details. In verse 1, it's the month of Kislev. What does that mean? That's one of the Jewish months. It's about the month of November, December time of the year. It's the November, December time of the year. Whenever the Bible gives you a date, look at it and understand that there is a significance there because God is just not filling ink, putting ink on paper for no reason. He is telling us something about himself and about our need and about how the two can come together. It's the month of Kislev. It's about, let's say, November 30th. Look at verse 11. Nehemiah's request for a quick answer. What day does he ask for it? Today. And then look at Nehemiah's position in verse 11. I didn't read this because what, what do the last two or three words of that verse say? And I was what? cupbearer to the king. Do you know what that is? Now, how many of you saw the movie? The king is sitting on the throne. They bring him a drink of wine. There's a guy who drinks it first. And if, then you don't drink the wine. But the guy who drinks the wine, he's okay. Then the king can do what? Drink the wine. Now, listen. This is a pagan king. He has conquered the world in that area. The Jews are a conquered, subjected people. And yet God has placed a man in the throne, in the throne right there at the right hand of this mighty king, a man, a man who is to be so trusted with the king's life. 
and he's a Jew. Do you know how many other people Artaxerxes could have asked to do this? And yet God had his man at the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing. Amen? Now, you can say amen because you just said a little while ago about LSU in Alabama. I know you have mouths around here. You see, don't read the word quickly. Read it carefully. Savor it. What should this do to our confidence in God in relation to my life? What should it do? Deplete confidence or increase confidence? The God who can take the details of life and do with it the way he does it just in this one story. Can he do the same thing in my life as I am being twisted through time with God? Yes. Let's read Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 1. Now in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, stop. What month is this? What month is this? Nisan. The other month was what? Kislev. This is Nisan. When is Nisan? Let's say it's April 1st. Okay, it's about April, May, April, I mean March, April. You know, it's, it's the time of the Passover. The 14th of Nisan begins the whole process of the Passover. You remember? It's the spring. Wait a minute. I needed help. November, December, January, February, March, at least how many months? Four months. I asked for help when? Four months ago. I needed help when? Four months ago. Today. Now, what's going on? What's going on? The pace of grace. What's happening? The pace of grace. What's going on in your life and in my life? As we have been listening to all of this wonderful revelation concerning the person of God. And then having heard that beginning to speak about that God of ours affecting our lives. What is the effect in my life of knowing God? And we've been speaking about this now a number of weeks. But you see, there's an overarching truth here, and that is this, that this great work of God takes time and twisting. There is a pace to God's grace. And we need to see and trust and look at my life and the details of my life and what's going on and what isn't going on and what I like and what I don't like and what I fear and what I don't fear and all of that and begin to assign myself and my life into God's pace of grace in a trusting and satisfactory way. Four months have gone by. 
You see, such delays as this always challenge our faith. How many of you have had a challenge to your faith when there are delays in your prayers? Come on, answer. How many, how many, anybody ever been challenged? Am I the only one that didn't get challenged? I'm always being challenged. We all are always being challenged to trust God. That's the great battle. Do I or do I not trust him? What's happening? God is at work behind the scenes. Do you believe that? When things are going not your way and your timing or whatever, do we actually believe God really is at work behind the scenes? Oh, I believe it, brother. I believe it. Hallelujah, I believe it. God, why can't I get that answer before 4 o'clock? You don't believe it. I struggle. I struggle with this. I get in the way too much. You see, God was behind the scenes patiently twisting Nehemiah over a period of time to get ready to be God's answer to his prayer. God was preparing the way to answer Nehemiah's prayer. You know why? Because the need that Nehemiah had was generated by God in his life to cause Nehemiah to call on him so that God would work in that need to bring about his purpose and thus be glorified in it. God knows what he's doing. Nehemiah was learning that in the circum that the circumstances are not in control but that God is in control of the circumstances. Now this isn't rocket science. We've heard this before. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You see, Nehemiah was learning God is never too late. He's always on time. Remember the disciples in John 11. Your friend, Lazarus, is dying. Your good friend, could you come? We need your prayers. He's in the hospital. He's on life support system. He's not expected to live the weekend. Jesus sits there for days. Sits. How many of you would have joined me with the other disciples of saying, I thought Jesus, you know, what? maybe he didn't understand. You know, maybe, maybe he just, what, how many of us would have questioned Jesus' activity? Come on, come on, come on. Yes. But what did Jesus say when he got there? Did I not tell you that if you believe, if you believe what? If you believe and trust my pace of grace, did I not tell you, you'd see the glory of God. And he raised up Lazarus from the dead. Then they were okay with the pace of grace. But they should have been okay with it in the midst of it. 
I need this sermon. I have, the Lord has been bouncing on me for several days on this thing. And I'm still bouncing around. You see, God is always on time. Galatians 1.16, Paul is talking about his conversion. And he said, when God was pleased to reveal his son to me. It is God's timing to save people. It is God's timing in process to, redeem, uh, to sanctify us over a process of time. God is at work. Don't you see? Don't you trust him? You see, time tests trust. Now, you should write that down if you don't have it in your notes. If you have it in your notes, underline it because it does. Time tests trust. When it takes too long, we get fidgety. And we begin to question. We begin to moan and groan. We're like Israel. You know, the word murmur in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word as I understand, sounds like a grumbling. They're grumbling, and the Lord says, that's idolatry. You're not trusting me. You see, waiting has the ability, as I said, to expose our weaknesses and our faith and trust. Did God really hear my prayer? Think, Nehemiah is asking this on November 30th. Okay, it's December 5th. Okay, I'll give God a few days, Matt, a few days, you know. Sometimes God's a little slow. He's not as young as he used to be. Somebody at the Alpha retreat visited us. I don't know if she's still here today. I don't want to call her name in case she'd be embarrassed. I don't think she would. I think it's lovely. But, and a little four-year-old son is with her, and when I stood up to make an announcement, she said, is that God? <laughs> you better be doggone glad it ain't God, brother. I'll do that next time. <laughs> Did God hear my prayer? December 30th. You see, it's easy. Well, wait, Nehemiah, wait. God is coming. When you are in the middle of the thing and you don't know when the answer is coming, every day is a year. Another day. January 15th, nothing. January 28th, nothing. February 31st, nothing. Some of you had to think about that a second. Uh, <laughs> You know, huh? April 1st, the sun rises. Nehemiah puts on his clothes. He takes his chariot down to the, uh, uh, what do you call it, the capital. He is ushered into the presence of Artaxerxes. He has no idea that today is the day of the answer. He has no idea. When will God give me an answer? You see, during this period of waiting, Nehemiah has a decision to make, as all of us do. He can either decide to grumble, complain, and dishonor God, or he can decide to say, I will put my trust in God. Now, you have to make a decision. It can't be as a feeling. Often, it has to be a decision based on what you know about God, what God has done in your life, the whole issue of the promises of God and the work of God in your life, and all 
in the lives of all those whom you know, you have to make, like I do, a gutsy decision to say, I will not dishonor and rob God of his glory. I will trust him. I will be satisfied. I will not complain. And no matter what happens, God is honorable and good. It's a decision we make so often against the circumstances and the proof to the contrary. It's a decision. It's called growing up in Christ. What happened? Look at these verses. In the month of Nisan, the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the wine was before him. I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. Some kind of way, there's a sad look on his face this time. And it was dangerous to be sad in the presence of the king who only wanted smiles. Everything's fine. And the kingdom said to me, why are you sad? You sick? Now, that would have put terror in this man's heart. You did not. You could not be sad in his presence. He'd had your head cut off. This is nothing but sadness of the heart, I said. Now, while I read through this, would you note what is happening? You probably didn't notice it, did you? I just read it and you didn't see it. Look at Nehemiah's answer. What does he say? It is sadness of what? Why does he answer that way? Why does he say that way? Oh, I'm not sad. No, 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 I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine, king. Oh, I'm fine. Why does he say it that way? Because for four months, God has been preparing Nehemiah's heart, his mind, his thoughts, going over all the things that he's going to need to be saying, even though Nehemiah may not have known it cognitively, going over all the issues that are going to be required to go back to Jerusalem. God is filling Nehemiah's pantry with spiritual food during these four months of nothing's going on. Can you believe that too about your life? Can I believe it about my life that during the pace of grace, God is filling our spiritual pantries. Look what wisdom, sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I'm sorry, he said that. Then I was very much afraid, and I said to the king, let the king live forever. I'll skip down too far. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and his gates have been destroyed by fire? All of a sudden, you see, he is able by the Holy Spirit generated in him to be able to give the answer that God wants this king to know. Nehemiah knows what he needs to say. How does he know it? He's never rehearsed this. It comes out, if you would, by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, don't worry when they persecute you what you're going to say. I'm going to say it through you. You just submit to me and trust me. And he begins to speak to this man. And as he does, the Holy Spirit begins to capture the king's heart. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. That was a quick prayer, right? And I said to him, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, 
queen sitting on his throne. How long will you be gone and when will you return? So please the king to send me when please the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given. And et cetera, et cetera. In other words, Nehemiah is laying out the entire thing to the king. Had he gotten his answer today, the probability is, we don't know, I'm guessing, maybe he wouldn't have been able to say it this way, maybe he would have. But the point of the matter is this, the pace of grace, God is preparing Nehemiah's answer. Is he doing that in your life and in my life? What was the key to Nehemiah's success? Here's the key to his success. This is the key to his success. He knew God was with him. He knew God was with him. That's the key. The key wasn't his answer. The key wasn't his whatever. The key wasn't anything other than this. And this is the key, if you would, capital K-E-Y, to everything we have and need. Is my God with me? Is he with you as you pace through life? As things begin to crumble and your walls need to be rebuilt and the enemy's out there and this is that. The question is, is God with you? Yes or no, is he with us? You see, all of us have broken down walls. But Jesus has promised to rebuild them. Why? Why do we know that God will rebuild our walls? Because Jesus has paid the price for our redemption on the cross, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of our sin. He took what we deserved upon himself, and he paid it in full so that all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. It's the gospel. The gospel of the love of God in Jesus Christ at the cross to save and redeem us unto himself forever by raising him from the dead. We can be even more convinced than Nehemiah. Listen to this promise. Deuteronomy 31.8. It is the Lord who goes before you. Don't ever think you're going into uncharted territory. God is already there and has been there waiting for you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed by the pace of grace. My loose translation at the end. Matthew 28, 20. What does he say? Jesus said this before he leaves the earth and his disciples in front of him. And he says, what? Behold, I am with you always, even unto the end or the consummation of this world system. He's with us. Why can I trust his grace? Why can I trust the pace? Because he's with us. He's with us. He's with us. He's with us. Emmanuel, God with us forever. 
Therefore, every time when I am tempted to despair, discourage, impatience, anger, frustration, or whatever it is, when the pace isn't according to my pace, I need to say to myself, Peter, this is God's pace of grace. He's with me. He's with you. He's with everyone whom he has redeemed. So this morning, I call you to, I call you, or hopefully the Holy Spirit calls us to a decision to trust God's pace of grace so that we can have our strength renewed like the eagles. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall rise up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and they shall not faint. Let's stand together. I call us to a decision today, church. Every one of us, because all of us are battling this. And the battle needs to be not ended today because that's not going to happen. But at least the battle needs to be diminished today. And we need to begin to experience a much greater level of victory in our lives. And be as Romans 8.37 says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why? Because he's with us. So I ask you this. Let's settle the matter this morning. Settle it. Think about what the matter is in your life, what the issue is. Get an issue in your mind. Every one of us has issues. Get something in your mind. That's the issue. It's my husband, it's my wife, my relationship, my health, my finances, whatever it is. Get the issue. Let's decide today what we're going to believe. Is God always with us or not? Which one? With us or not? And when you say this, the enemy is going to attack you to try to get you to deny it. And that will be proof that God is with us. Let's settle the matter this morning. Will God always be faithful to his promises or not? Yes, he will be faithful. How many promises? Every single one. Not one promise will ever fail. Let's settle the matter this morning. Can we always trust him or not? Yes. Let's settle the matter this morning. Will God always do good for us? Then let's settle the matter. Will we decide today? November 7th. 2010, will we decide today, I will trust God's pace of grace. Will we decide to do that today? Amen. Well, let's do it.